Super League was looking at that and saying, hey, you know, if all this money's going in, but it's all going in at the tip of the pyramid. And the tip of the pyramid is this professional level, which really represents, you know, you could argue, argue anywhere from about 10,000 to 20,000 gamers around the world. But what about the rest of the pyramid? You know, what's the consumer play in this space? And we had done some research and realized that of those 2.6 billion gamers on the planet, about 50% of them identify as competitive, meaning they're playing at least eight hours of gameplay a week. They're watching an additional nine hours of someone else playing games. And that doesn't mean it's a pro game. They're watching other amateurs in their gameplay. And so we looked at that massive market and we thought there's just so much unmet demand there. There's no infrastructure. And I often would say to investors early on who are definitely side by the space they you know the, the numbers don't lie at the size of the audience but they you know because they're of a different generation like me they were struggling with why on earth you know would you want a competitively video game and and i often would use the analog of like look you know i took tennis lessons as a kid at some point i got to go to tennis camp i can't imagine if the next step there wouldn't have been a way for me to join a team hello and welcome to the stock podcast I'm Nate Abercrombie, the host of the only investing podcast that gives everyone the chance to hear public company CEOs and CFOs describe their business and provide the investment case for their company. In this episode, the Stock Podcast is really excited to bring you an interview with Anne Hand, who's the CEO of Super League Gaming, ticker symbol SLGG. When this interview was recorded, Super League had a market cap of about 23 million, no debt, and cash on the balance sheet was about 13 million, putting the total enterprise value at about 10 million. Now, if you're like me, you've never heard of Super League Gaming. That's partly because I'm not a gamer, but it's also a small company that doesn't get very much attention from the investment community. But what Anne and Super League are creating is, well, we talk about this a little bit, but it's kind of like the minor league for esports. And Super League is poised to capitalize on a really fast growing market. They provide a service that no one else really provides, and they do it in a really unique and interesting way. It's a really interesting conversation, and if you know nothing about esports, then this is a great episode for you to listen to. But before we get to the interview, I ask that you consider something for a moment. One of the goals of the Stock Podcast is to chip away at a key advantage that institutional investors have over the average investor. And one of those advantages is corporate access. Corporate access is a term used in professional investing, which is basically the chance to sit down with a senior management team from a public company. You get to hear the investment story straight from the top. And I wanted to give everyone the chance to hear these interviews. Because really, the way the industry works is you have to have a ton of money or work for an institutional investor to have the opportunity to sit down with management. And at least for institutional investors, the reason why they get to is because they pay big bucks to have access to management but I'm giving this to you for free. However, there are still some tangible costs in running a podcast and not to mention the intangible opportunity costs for me. For that reason, I ask that you consider supporting the program and there are lots of different ways you can lend some support. Donations are certainly the most impactful and if you'd like to make a contribution to the podcast, just check out the donate page on the website at thestockpodcast.com. Or you could subscribe, either on the website or on the podcast app that you use. And another new way to support the podcast is by going to the website and go to the episode page and you'll see a red lion's head in the sidebar. That's a link to the Brave browser. And if you haven't heard about Brave, you really should look into it. Brave works and looks just like Chrome, but there's a privacy element to it. 
and the creators are trying to revolutionize digital advertising with a digital currency called a basic attention token. And if you click on the link, download Brave, and then use it, Brave sends some money my way. And then finally, you can support the show by spreading the word. Please take a moment to tell someone who you think might get something out of these types of interviews about this podcast. Really, it means a lot. Word of mouth is the best form of advertising for podcasts, and it's a really easy way for you to support the program. All right, I'll stop there. Let's get to the interview with Super League Gaming CEO, Ann Hand. And thank you so very much for coming onto the podcast. It's going to be great learning about your business. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Well, happy to have you and very happy to learn about your business because it's just a very different business model for me. So interested in that. But before we get there, could we just talk about your background a little bit? Where did you come from? Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest of the state. kind of did what most people do out of college back in those days. My goal was to go work for a big company. So I first started out with Mobile Oil and then I moved on to McDonald's and eventually uh, went to BP. You know, great training. It made me sit in a lot of different functional types of roles, all in the interest of kind of grooming me to be a generalist and at some point a large P&L owner. So my last couple jobs with BP were in London. I um, ran a global B2B2C uh, business unit, Liquefied Gas, that was um, in many countries around the world, about a $3 billion P&L with about 3,000 employees. And then my last assignment there, I ran all of our global brands. So, you know, BP owns a lot in their portfolio, Arco, AMPM, Morale, so all kinds of food, convenience brands, and of course, business to business brands as well. And then along the way, about uh, eight or nine years ago, I met some venture capitalists. They were coming and poaching executives from energy companies. They had put a lot of money in clean tech and they were looking for people to to run those businesses. And I think it just seemed exciting to me after all the time in large cap companies that I would get a chance to, in some ways, do something that was very similar to what my father did. He was a um, kind of serial entrepreneur. He was the first franchisee ever of Fuddruckers, the restaurant chain. And so I was used to being in a household with somebody who was trying to, you know, start new businesses, scale things that were small. And so I jumped off and ran first a clean tech business in the Bay Area for about five years. And then I knew some of the investors and, you know, early investor board members of Super League. Super League was about six months old and they were looking for a CEO. And at first, to be very candid, I, I was kind of a little bit nervous about it because while I could see that the esports space was blowing up and timing is everything in early stage companies, um, and I certainly was a gamer as a kid, but I did at least at first blush, I was a little worried that maybe that it, gaming's changed so much since I was a teenager and that struggle of it to understand the market space. But I, I will say that I was, I always felt I had really good instincts when it came to creating new brands or transforming them. And the lure of the opportunity to not be in a highly relevant, um, rapidly growing space but to define what a really uh, powerful mainstream brand could look like around that was just something that I couldn't look away from. Yeah, that's interesting. I I didn't realize you came from, well, I take that back. I did realize that you came from energy, but I didn't realize that you had some clean tech in your background as well. And I don't know if you're familiar with any of the previous podcast episodes, but I I previously covered energy. So uh, we could probably talk about energy 
stocks in the energy markets all day long. But well, I I will tell you a funny little side quick story on that. So Ken Hirsch, who's a, a you know longtime oil and gas guy um, based out of Dallas, very well known in the energy sector, and he has a, a fund called Hirsch Interactive that is a direct investor in us. They also bought the Dallas Overwatch Esports Professional League. And he and I's joke, anytime we see each other, is from energy to esports, the likely career transition. So <laughs> we know that we are one of a small club for which we'll now include you in, um, <laughs> who likes to talk about the two extremes of those businesses. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, tell me, tell me about Super League. What, what is it that Super League does? And describe the business model, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So a little bit first of the the arc of the story. So. Again, the company is, is now about five years old. When we started, the thinking was was that, you know, we were seeing all this smart money going into esports. So you were seeing big name traditional sports owners buying professional esports teams. And just a lot of excitement about the rapid growth of the gaming sector. The fact that gaming is now bigger than kind of traditional Hollywood, you know, bigger than TV and movies. And, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, like that is one of the hard lessons learned if you've run an early stage company is the importance of timing. Because like clean tech, you know, when you have market fundamentals working against you, when you, the price of crude is low and or regulation isn't working in your favor, it doesn't matter how great your product is. It's just it's the best thing you can do is, is shutter the business for a while until those market that market landscape shifts. But certainly with esports and just the explosion of gaming becoming not just just large in numbers, you know, there's 2.6 billion gamers on the planet, but also just the fact that gaming is now becoming a lifestyle trend. It's not something you grow out of anymore like previous generations. And so the longevity of a gamer's life cycle is, is as well an important kind of compelling piece to the story. And so Super League was looking at that and saying, hey, you know, if all this money's going in, but it's all going in at the tip of the pyramid. And the tip of the pyramid is this professional level, which really represents, you know, you could argue, argue anywhere from about 10,000 to 20,000 gamers around the world. But what about the rest of the pyramid? You know, what's the consumer play in this space? And we had done some research and realized that of those 2.6 billion gamers on the planet, about 50% of them identify as competitive meaning they're playing at least eight hours of gameplay a week. They're watching an additional nine hours of someone else playing games. And that doesn't mean it's a pro game. They're watching other amateurs in their gameplay. Um, they've probably invested in a, a gaming peripheral, like a Turtle Beach headset or a Logitech gaming mouse. And so we looked at that massive market and we thought there's just so much unmet demand there. There's no infrastructure. And I often would say to investors early on who are definitely excited by the space, they, you know, the, the numbers don't lie at the size of the audience, but they, you know, because they're of a different generation like me, they were struggling with why on earth, you know, would you want to competitively video game? And, and I often would use the analog of like, look, you know, I took tennis lessons as a kid. At some point I got to go to tennis camp. I can't imagine if the next step, there wouldn't have been a way for me to join a team. Um, and I knew, and my parents certainly knew, that I wasn't going to be Serena Williams. But that was an important piece of me loving this sport and getting to play it in new and more challenging ways. And so what we really focused on is how can we really think about what is the field space for the gamer who wants to game in a different way, um, who wants to get out of home and game. Um, you know, gaming is really about 
just as much about community and, and the socialness of gaming than it is just the gameplay. You know, players are chatting with each other in the gaming. They're making friends. But just like anything that's done online, it does still have an isolating quality to it. So what we started doing early on, and it really gets to where our business model is now, is we started early on partnering with movie theaters. Why? Because we said, hey, movie theaters could be a great field for video gaming. You've got that big screen. You've got that great sound system. And here's the other thing. You know, movie theaters are empty half the time. So this is kind of a no-brainer. We can be a real way for them to bring new Gen Z millennial foot traffic in their location. They've got the right field space for these competitive gaming leagues. So in the early days, we, we jumped out of the gate. We ran hundreds of events in, in the first year. We now run thousands of experiences around the world per annum. But we started running those leagues, and we learned something else. Entry polling pretty consistently. The gamers came through the doors and said, I'm here for the competition. Exit polling, always highest ranking was I made friends tonight. And that helped us see that this was less than um, just a play about capacity utilization or dying brick and mortar. And, you know, gamers want a game with leagues. And it looked on the surface like we were the movie theater people or the people who were, or was a, almost a tournament operator. But what we saw was a much bigger vision, which is really that Super League in a way is, is a hub or network. And the two things that we facilitate or foster are community um, and content. So we first, I often joke, think of us like a local match.com. We're helping um, this very fragmented audience of gamers find each other. And they're, ga- they're coming together around gameplay, but a lot more than that. They're sharing their highlight reels with each other. They're challenging each other to matches. So it's much more about kind of them celebrating their gamer lifestyle together. And content is really about, we use tournaments, whether they be physical tournaments or online tournaments, as just one mechanism to capture their content. And we can distribute that content and monetize it in a lot of ways. So if you go back to that hub and spoke kind of picture, you know, as the infrastructure lays out, what we have is we have first these physical anchors that we've, you know, these spokes call them. And that really are those that real estate grab we've been doing over the last few years where we are partnering and with, you know, big partnerships at the top of the house with Cinemark Theaters, who's also an investor in us, Topgolf nationally. Um, We've now announced a partnership with a company called GG Circuit that brings to us about 600 plus gaming centers or PC cafes around the world. If you'd like to continue listening to this interview, you'll need to become a member. To become a member, just visit thestockpodcast.com. Members have access to all full-length episodes, and depending on the membership that you purchase, you can even have access to the transcripts. So just go to the website, thestockpodcast.com, and click membership at the top. Also, if you really enjoyed the music, you should check out Danheim. That's D-A-N-H-E-I-M. Mike at Danheim gave me permission to use the music for the podcast, and so a huge thanks to Danheim. And with that, take care and good luck with your portfolio.